Welcome to another episode of Dr. Me First. It's me, queen of burnout and sass, mother of dragons, sometimes losing her mind, sometimes kicking ass, Dr. freaking Erin Wiseman. And today I've got another fabulous guest. She comes to us from a little bit different angle than medicine, but I think she's going to be absolutely phenomenal for you all. Her name's Mary Atkin. She's a writing coach and founder of The Book Incubator. It's a 12-month program to write, revise, and pitch your novel or memoir. She is the author of novels, which, by the way, won Best Book of 2019, Privilege, another Best Book of the Week, and Palm Beach. Her books have been published in 13 countries, and her essays and reporting have appeared in The New York Times, The Atlantic, Slate, and so much more. She's a graduate of some pretty prestigious schools, including Yale Law and Duke, and she is helping other women finish their books with joy and clarity. So we're going to talk to Mary today. You're going to find out all about her and just enjoy me in this fabulous conversation. All right, here we go. I'm great. Happy to chat with you. Yeah, I'm so glad that you found me through the magic of the internet and you're here on the podcast with me today. Since we don't know you, you don't hang out in the doctor sphere, but you're always welcome here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and the magic you're putting into the world? Okay, sure. So I, let's see, where to start? I was actually a lawyer first before I was a novelist and not for very long. I burnt out really quickly. I was only a lawyer for seven months. It didn't, it didn't last long before I decided I wanted to focus on my writing career. And so I quit my job as soon as I could find another one to pay my bills, moved to a cheaper apartment and started trying to launch a writing career. It took me a really long time. I knew I wanted to publish books, not just a writing career. I knew I wanted to write books just because I had loved reading since I was a little girl. And it was like, you know, it was, that was my, that was my dream to be like, find my book in a bookstore. So it took me, long story short, it took me a while. It took me about seven years before I got a book deal. And once I did, I really wanted to teach people what I had learned. So wound up starting this program called The Book Incubator. And now I work with everybody who wants to write a novel. But a lot of them, turns out, are are professionals. They're people who have full-time jobs. Most of my clients, not all my clients are women, but most of my clients are women. And I love it. It's really fun. You know what? Hashtag lawyers burn out too. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm going to pick on that just a little bit. Were you burnt out in law school? Like, was were you crispy? No, I wasn't. No? Because my law school was pass. All the classes were pass fail. And basically no one failed. So ironically, law school was like the chillest my academic experience had ever been. It was actually more chill than high school or college because, and I would say I was burnt out already in high school and in college because I was like vying for A's. But in law school, it was like, I was just past fail. So it was like, everyone's like, no one's ever, it was like a legend of someone who would fail because they like didn't even come to class. So I actually found law school to be really fun for the, it was like my first fun experience in academia because I wasn't obsessed with grades. And I think that's also why it was so shell, like it, I felt shell shocked going into the practice of law because I had had fun in law school and I liked, like, I liked reading cases. It was like reading stories. Every case starts with a story, right? It's like 
so-and-so was. And you're like, this is fascinating. And so once I got into the practice of law, it was like, wait, I don't just like read stories. (laughs) Like I thought that was what law was. And it wasn't, it was a lot more technical. It was a lot more, a lot more kind of posturing and like people intimidating each other and like trying to draw out antagonism and like draw out hostility and conflict instead of trying to reconcile it because we were profiting off of that. Like I very quickly, I became pretty disillusioned about the practice of, of litigation, which is what I was in. Like it did not seem like an efficient or healthy way to resolve conflict. And I was like at the forefront of it and, and profiting off of it myself because that was my income. So it was like, "Mm, don't think this is what I want to do with my life. Like it, it wasn't just burnout. It was also just on principle being like, I don't, this is not what I want to be Totally against your values. Yeah. 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 How difficult was it to step away from that knowing because I know, and here's the background on this, a lot of physicians, because there's been so much time, blood, sweat, and tears invested into the journey, mm-hmm. find like there's that like sunk cost that they feel. Did you feel that with going through for the law degree? I did. I mean, I, I did because, I mean, that's essentially why I took a job in the first place that was like a high paying kind of corporate litigation job because I had loans and they were like over a hundred thousand dollars in loans. And so it was like, well, I need to pay these off. Like that's really overwhelming to think about. And so that's why I took the job. I guess in my case, it was so bad. (laughs) Like it was such a bad fit that it still kind of felt like a no brainer. It was like, I need to get out. I mean, and you know, I, I also... In some ways, I think my kind of rock bottom professionally was a good thing because it, it, I think if I had liked it more and I weren't like breaking out in hives, having massive anxiety, going to see the doctor about all these physical manifestations of, of my stress, I could have made it last longer. And there were many people I was friends with who did make it last longer and they were in it for several years or even a decade before they eventually left. But like in my case, it was not sustainable. Like that was very clear to me. And so in a way, I'm, I'm glad it wasn't because I moved out of it extremely quickly. Yeah. You didn't sit around and suffer. That's for sure. And that's a good thing. And so like finding your way, you had mentioned that, you know, as a child, you always loved reading stories and you envisioned seeing your book in a bookstore when you just randomly walk into it. Was that the initial goal after you kind of like looked at the professional landscape and you're like, yeah, not this Or did you go through a phase of like, then what? And had to search. Yeah, I didn't have the then what, because there was something about going into the practice of law that crystallized for me what I wanted to do, which was I wanted to walk into a bookstore and see a book on a shelf. Like I wanted to, like the the 12 year old in me that wanted to be an author just like was screaming. And it was like, why am I not doing that? That's what I need to be doing. And so I really had my sights set on, on one thing, which was that. No, it took me, I, I thought it would take me a year. Like, and it's really cute looking back that I'm like, that'll be Yeah, don't here. we always set like these incredible goals for ourselves? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, in about a year. And it took me about seven. So, but those are, so, I mean, you know, it, it's funny because I look back now and all I wanted in those seven years was like, all I wanted was to make it, to make it as a writer, to make it as a writer. And I look back on them now and I'm like, they were really, I don't know, I'm nostalgic them, you know, because it was like, I started dating the guy who became my husband. And like, 
I was tutoring to pay my bills. So it's like, I would have my tutoring hours every day. And then I would just like go write and I would meet friends for drinks. And I was taking writing classes and it's like, you know, it was a just very special kind of particular time of life. Like when you're going, you know, when you're kind of like going for your dream before you get there and like, you don't quite know if you're going to make it. You hope you do. And you're just kind of, it's solitary and it, people would be like, what are you doing again? You know, cause they all knew I went to law school. Like, what are you doing again? You stopped being a lawyer. And it would be like, well, I'm, I'm writing a book now. And they're like, oh, when's it coming out? And I'm like, well, it's not going to come out yet. Cause I don't have a, a way to publish it yet. But like, you know, it was just those conversations over and over again, were a little bit tough on my ego because, you know, I wanted to be able to say like anyone does, like, I'm successful. Look at me. (laughs) But this was like, not really, I didn't know how to talk about what I was doing in a way that people were kind of like, Oh, Oh wait. So you didn't practice law. You're not going to practice law. And then they would all, they would always go, well, you can go back to it. Good thing. You can go back to it. They would immediately go to like, you're keeping your license up. Aren't you (laughs) like immediate, like, I mean, I, I, it was super well-meaning. I know, but I always heard it as them being like, well, listen, this writing thing probably isn't going to work out. So let's make sure you're keeping up your law license. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that is absolutely 100% the experience I had when I stepped away from medicine as well. It's like people want these clean labels and you're not able to give it to them anymore. Yeah. Like you're not Mary the lawyer and I wasn't here in the doctor. I was doing this crazy ass thing called life coaching, you know? Mm-hmm. And and when people can't put clean labels on things, they get uncomfortable. So then they start making solutions for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what I always had to remind myself, I'm like, yeah, good for you. Mm-hmm. Good for you. Like my grandmother, she's like, so when are you going to go work in an office again? <laughs> Yeah. You know, and I had to be like, well, I don't, I don't know, but that's not what I'm doing right now. And it's okay. Yeah. I remember my dad, like very sweetly being like, what do I tell people that you do? Like, I don't understand what's happening. And I, yeah, yeah, I do think there's a, I think in both of our cases too, there's that phenomenon of both law and medicine being fields that people are so used to hearing about others aspiring to, but you don't really hear about people walking away from it unless it's like retirement. So if it's like, well, if you walk away from it, it must be because you had something kind of quote unquote better, like something amazing. Like, what are you a movie star now? You know, (laughs) but if it's like, no, I walked away from it to do this thing that is a little bit surprising or like that people don't totally understand, then it's very, I think it's really disorienting. Yeah, it's either something better or you're broken. Like those are the yeah, two you're having a midlife people crisis. sit in. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, no, actually, like it's totally okay to walk away from these prestigious professions. And and that's a lot of what I help people here with the podcast understand. Is yeah. Because I think so many times we are like, oh, this is such a noble job. And instead of reminding yourself, it truly is just a job and, and it is a special one it isn't what you are fully all about. It doesn't have to become your full being. Yeah. Which is what I love what you help people do, which is really help bring out that creativity in their life again and help them to bring forth the books that are within them because creativity is an absolute essential part of this human experience. Yeah, completely. And I think, I mean, the cool thing about, I think creativity too, is that, 
I don't think of it as having a timeline. Like it sort of exists outside of time. So for example, like, okay, let's say someone's listening and they're like, all right, I have, you know, I have this novel in me that I don't tell anybody about. Cause like, I'm a little embarrassed that I want to write a novel or I haven't written creatively in a long time. And they're like, I'm not going to walk away from my job right now, but wouldn't it take me hours a day to write a novel? And it doesn't. Like I actually worked with this one doctor, speaking of being a doctor, who she was working in a hospital during COVID. So she was super busy, but she had, she, she wanted to write this middle grade novel, which is like for grade school children that she had after she was reading, she was, oh, what was the book she was reading to her kids? Anyway, I'm blanking on it, but she was reading some classic book to her kids that made her really excited about this story. So she tried to find time to write it, was really struggling, and then realized if just like in between things, in between patients, she could just use the notes app on her phone and dictate or just like type sentences with her thumbs she could actually get a fair amount of writing done. And she ended up writing the entire novel that way, just like on the notes app dictating. And I just love that story because I think it's so inspiring. It's such a good reminder that there's no right way to be creative or to write. You can just do whatever works for you. And I've since, I was so curious when she told me that she was dictating. I'm like, there have to be like career authors who dictate their books. And there are. There are a bunch who are just like, yeah, I just like go on walks and talk into my phone or, you know, other there. I found one writer, Elizabeth Strout will write it on, write on flashcards as she's walking around. She just like is jotting, but she walks as she does it. And I, I just like to tell that story because I think it's a good, it, it's cool for people who do, who might have a book in burning in them to hear that there's no one way they're supposed to do it. Like whatever works for them, is going to be a good way to go. Yeah. It can be post-it notes. It could be a six-month break from work. It could be 15 minutes a night before you go to bed. Yeah. It could be so many things. And it can it can have whatever timeline, I think, is the important thing to say, too. Like, it's not like you have to get it done in nine months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, was, exactly. that was my goal a couple of years ago to get some books that I'm sitting. I was like, oh, I can get this done in nine months. And it's still in my Google Drive. But it's still there. <laughs> and it's waiting for me. And it will continue to be there. And Yeah. And I think that's the important thing. You know, one thing you had mentioned before was creative self-care. Can you talk a little bit about that? And I think because I'll be perfectly honest, self-care to me is not manicures and spa days. Yeah. That doesn't feel great to me. And so when you mentioned creative self-care, that felt like ding, 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 ding. Talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, same. I think for a long time, I was like, I should get facials. (laughs) And then I'll feel great. And it's like, and then I would get a couple of be like, I feel the same. My face doesn't even look different. (laughs) But I, (laughs) but I do, I do find that when I carve out time to be creative, it is like, I, I, I don't think this is hyperbole. Like it's life changing for me. And I, I forget to do it sometimes. For example, this summer we moved. We moved from Tennessee to Texas. And, you know, a move, as my friend Jocelyn said to me, she's like, just remember, moving is always traumatic. And I was like, what? It's going to be great. It's going to be, we wanted to be moving. And then it was like, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> moving is terrible in every way. Like you're unsettled. I have a son. He, you know, he was struggling with the transition. So I was 
a couple months after moving, I was in therapy and, and my therapist said like, are you writing at all? Are you doing anything creative? And I was like, no, I'm not doing anything creative. Like, I don't feel like I have time. I'm still unpacking boxes. I'm trying to like teach, run my business, like get my, my kids not in, spends a lot of time, not even like, I don't have childcare cause it's summer. So it was just juggling all of these things. And she was like, you need to be writing. Like you don't, I mean, not because you need to publish something, but because you will feel better. And she's like, when can you do it? Like, I can't, there's no time. She's like, what if you wake up really early? And it was like, oh, I forgot that that was something you could do. You can know, cause you forget like, oh yeah, huh. That's interesting. Well, that's true. I, he's later, like, what if I got up at six? What if I got up at five 30? And so I started doing that and it was like, listen, it was not like, oh my gosh, my life is perfect. But it was, I'd notably felt just like the energy of my days go from just like up here, buzzing anxious to just like, I can manage this because I would wake up and have my quiet time where I was, where I was writing. I was just being creative. And even if it would be 30 minutes, 45 minutes, it made a, it made a really big difference. Like ideally I wanted like an hour and a half that seemed to be the sweet spot. So I would like push it back once he started waking up a little earlier. But that's what I think of as creative self-care, like finding, carving out time to do it, to be creative and not necessarily making it be a project that you have some sort of end goal for. I mean, in my case, I actually like doing that because it like gives me some something concrete to work on. You know, like I'm working on this story or like this play or this poem, but liberating myself from the idea of like, okay, but what am I going to do with it after? Like, I try not to think about that because then it becomes kind of more work than play. Exactly. Exactly. So one of the things I find when people are super crispy with burnout is little to no hobbies, little to no play, little to no creative yeah. juices in their life, really. And one of the things too, is that when I tell people like, go do something just for fun, that is a really, really hard homework assignment for type A perfectionists, crispy burned out people. Mm-hmm. And I find so many of them will pick something up, but it just turns into more work because it's like, oh, I'm going to crochet baby blankets to give to my friends because everyone's having babies. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's nice. But are you having fun? You're staying up to 2 a.m. to finish blankets because you want to get them, you know, like. Yeah. So it, it really comes down to that, like, intentionality, too, of like, what if this is just for pure fun and play? Ten years ago, when I learned about the Tibetan monks that do the sand drawings mm-hmm. and like these huge elaborate drawings. And then like when they're finished, they just like wipe it off and, you know, smooth the sound out again. I'm like, holy shit, I cannot even, you know, they don't take a, even a picture of it. It's just gone. Yeah. It's taken me 10 years now to realize. And that's OK. It's 100 percent OK just to do something Just for the mere fact of playing, creating, doing a thing, it's not a waste of time. You did it. It's changed something within you and then to let it go. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It is so, it it has been a struggle for me. I mean, my whole adult life, like I remember it's the kind of thing where you'll hear, you know, a friend will say something like, well, I'm. I'm like watching a show in the middle of the day (laughs) or like, I'm, you know, I'm taking a break to watch a show and I'd be like, 
what? You're watching a, sh- a TV show in the middle of the day? And I, I remember once talking to my therapist about, like, it, I don't know how this came up. She's like, what would you do? It's similar to what you were saying. Like, she's like, what would you do just for fun? If you like right now. And I was like, well, maybe I would like read a novel. She's like, why don't you read a novel then? I'm like, I can't. It's two o'clock on a Wednesday. You're not, I can't do something for fun at two o'clock on a Wednesday. She's like, why not? Like, why not? But it, it's the deep, the deprogramming is really hard. So I, it is. yeah, I relate to your clients who struggle with that for sure. It's like to like learning how to rest before you become totally exhausted, mm-hmm. you know, taking those breaks sooner. One of my good friends, she just sent out like her weekly email, actually like printed it out and I ran out of printer paper. So it's totally on loose leaf line paper just for everyone that I'm showing <laughs> to the camera right now. <laughs> But she put on there that it's a a quote. She says, I'm pretty sure I figured out what the secret of work-life balance is. You have to rest as hard as you work. The amazing Dr. Kara Pepper, by the way, everyone. And I think that's true. Like, you know, to to have that balance. Yeah, you have to be, you have to create and have that creativity as much as you have your nose to the grindstone as well. You've got to have that that balance. And I know that the book incubator, you have the program. It sounds like just an amazing place to actually do that. I'm incubating chick eggs right now. So like, oh, I totally cool. have this whole like little people at their desk, like writing little books inside <laughs> my incubator thought in my head. So if people are interested in working with you and going about writing and finishing a book while they're full-time lifing it, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Uh, they can go to the bookincubator.com and all the information is there. They can reach out. They can, they can read about it. That's the best way to do it. Perfect. And we'll make sure we get all your links and Instagram and all the things in the show notes as well. Mary, it's been so great to sit down and talk to you. We need to do this more like soon, as soon as we can get something else on the schedule and talk more about it, because I think it's just so important to remind ourselves, like, it's not just me. I don't just feel like this in my professional work. It's not just doctors. It's a shared human experience. And that by having this connection, we can get through life a little bit easier. Yeah. And like give each other permission to do the stuff we're talking about. Absolutely. All right, friend, the badass in me honors the badass in you. (laughs) Ditto. Thanks, Erin. friend. So my word of the year for 2023 is going to be slacking for two reasons. One, I am really going to pull back the throttle in 2023 and see what life is like when I just do enough, not extra, not overboard, not overworking, burning myself out, burning candle at both ends, slacking, something I don't think I've really ever done my entire life. I'm excited about it, but I'm also worried, of course, (laughs) the classic OCD overworker, how this is going to be. The other reason that slack is going to be my word in 2023 is that's where I'm going to hang out. You're not going to see me in a lot of new places. I'm just going to be waiting for you in my DMs on Slack. Yeah, I'll probably occasionally post on Instagram and still send out a few emails, but you're going to see a change in Burnt Out to Badass and Dr. Me First. 
you're going to just see me waiting willingly and quietly in the corner for those who are ready for help. No more blasting lots of advertisements and marketing and pushing people. When you're ready, you'll come and we're going to see how it goes. So there you go. That's my word for the year. How about you? Have you picked a word? I'd love to hear about it. Send me an email. Better yet, send me a DM in Slack. Or maybe you want to join me and let's make this the year of slacking. All right, friend. Remember, if work is your drug, rest is your recovery. Come over and hang out with Slack and me and start slacking off a little bit in life. fun, deep conversation. Thank you so much, Mary Atkins, for coming on and talking about your past life and your current life and your creative life. It's just so amazing. You too, friend, if you are out there just going through the motions, trudging through, I want to encourage you to find some creativity in your life. It could be as simply as going outside and picking up some shiny rocks that seem kind of cool. It can be exploring your backyard with your shoes off and feeling the grass. It could be sitting down and doodling on a post-it note. It could be make-believing something up. Just take five minutes today and do something creative. And I will tell you, it will fire your brain up in so many different ways. Because look, you weren't just born and here to pay bills and die. You are here to live this full life with the fullest experience. And that is what I am dreaming for you. So remember, if you need anything, please reach out. And importantly, your life, your calling, your pulse matters. See you, friend.